Praise the Lord, saints. Welcome to our midweek Bible study. We are here by the divine order and command of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to search the scriptures, for in them we think we have eternal life, and day or day we testify of Him. We are also commanded to study to show ourselves approved unto God as workmen that need it not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, all the maim and all the confusion that's in this world today would disappear if everybody decide that they would just study God's word. Hebrews chapter, three, chapter 2 and verse 3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. We heard the gospel, we obeyed it, we believed it, and we have done something to it. Now if the world did this, we'd be living in a good place right now. There wouldn't be any wars, any confusion, and all that kind of stuff. So welcome once more to Christ Center Church. Where Christ is our central focus. We are in a place right now where God is able to speak to us. God has given us leadership to guide us in this time. So we ought to thank him for it. Now before we go to the Lord tonight to study his word, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Let's all stand together tonight. Is there anyone with a prayer request tonight? I do. We all have. We all have needs. Amen? Amen. Well, remember those who are sick, those in the hospital. Remember the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for these countries that are in turmoil today. Amen? Pray for the man of God tonight, that he may break the bread of life, that we may feast upon it and be filled. Lord God, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Mighty God, we love you. Lord, we honor and adore you. Oh, Lord Jesus, in you alone do we put our trust. You are our strength and you are our shield. You are the rock of our salvation, Lord Jesus. Precious Savior and faith, we call upon you once more, Almighty God. We come to honor you, to worship and praise you, Lord. For you are our Savior, you are our Redeemer. You are the rock of our salvation, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus, you are the great I am. There is none like you, and there is none besides you, Lord. You are from everlasting to everlasting. You are the King of glory. You are the Lord God Almighty. And we love you. Lord, we worship and praise you. Almighty God, we thank you for your sweet spirit. Thank you for your grace and your mercies to us, Almighty God. Thank you, Lord God, for renewing your mercies to us each day. Oh, Lord, we thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, Almighty God. O oh Lord Jesus, you're high and lifted up. You're exalted, Almighty Father. You are from everlasting to everlasting. You are the King of glory. Oh, what a mighty God you are. Oh, precious Savior and faith, we come tonight, Lord God, asking for your guidance and your directions. Lord, we come in faith, Almighty God, to cast our cares upon you. Almighty God, we know that you care for us. 
Lord Jesus, you know our needs, you know the desires of our hearts. And we call upon you in faith right now, mighty God, asking that you'd supply our needs according to your riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus, in faith we pray, almighty God, that you order our steps in your word. Help us, Lord God, to walk worthy of your calling and be fruitful in every good works and increase in the knowledge of you, almighty God. Oh, Lord God, in faith we pray that you give us wisdom. Give us wisdom, almighty God, to be good stewards of what you've called us to do. Give us wisdom, almighty God, to be good stewards of your manifold grace that you've given unto us. Give us wisdom, almighty God, to commit to all that you've given to us to do in this world. Oh, Lord, you have left unto us the ministry of reconciliation. Help us, Lord God, to impact the lives of others, that they too may seek you for themselves and be saved. Oh, Lord Jesus, we need your touch. We need your directions, Lord God. Lord, we need a fresh anointing from you in this hour. Oh, mighty God, give us a fresh anointing, almighty God, that we might be a blessing to one another. Give us an anointing, almighty God, that we may let our light shine towards our community and through this community that we are in today, almighty God. Oh, Lord Jesus, we need you. We need your directions, almighty God. In faith we look to you, almighty God, asking, Lord, that you help us to decrease, that you may increase in us. Help us, Lord God, to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin and alive unto you, almighty God, through Jesus Christ, O Lord. We pray tonight, almighty God, for those who are sick in their bodies. Lord, we ask that you let your healing virtues flow through us, O God. Touch us from the top of our head to the sole of our feet, Lord God. O Lord, you promise to send your word to heal and that your word will not return to you void. Mighty God, we believe in you. We put our trust in you, O mighty Father. We know, Lord God, that you're able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think of you according to the power that worketh in us. Lord, we ask that you work through us tonight. Touch the man of God tonight, O mighty God. Help him, Lord God, to minister to your people as of the ability that he has received from you. Lord God, bring to his remembrance all the things that you have prepared for your people. Help him tonight, O mighty God, to continue to be a blessing. And help us, Lord God, to be a blessing one to another. Help us, Lord God, to fulfill your joy by being light-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. O Lord God, in faith we come to you. We believe you, Lord God, for all your goodness, your loving kindness, and your mercies. And we give you thanks in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. And the church say, Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father God. We bless your name tonight, O God. Hallelujah. Can I see the hands of those who believe that God is great? And he's greatly to be praised. Amen. Let us worship him tonight. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Water you turned into wine. Open the eyes of the blind. There's no one like you. None like you Into the darkness you shine And out of the ashes we rise There's no one like you None like you Our God is greater Our God is stronger 
God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God, yeah. Into the darkness you shine. Out of the ashes we rise. There's no one like you. None like you. None like you. Our God is greater. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer. Awesome and clap their hands unto the Lord and praise him. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Oh, blessed be the name of Jesus. Oh, God, you're greater, you're higher, they're stronger. There is no other God like you, Lord Jesus. There is no other God that can compare to you, Lord God. You are the only wise God. You are the only true and living God. You are omnipotent. You are omniscient. You are omnipresent, Lord. Oh, God, and there is none like you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, somebody, give him the praise he deserves. Open up your mouth and clap unto the Lord. Lift your voice and let him know what you think about him. I just don't want to sing how great he is. I just don't want to sing about how high he is. But I will worship him with my lips, with my own voice, with my whole heart and my whole being. You are my God. You are my my King, you are my Lord, and I bless your name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, our God is greater. Our God is stronger, and our God is higher than any other. I'm grateful to know who the true and living God is. A lot of people can say, oh, you know, God is great. And I would love to ask them, what God is that? Because there's a lot of people worshiping a lot of gods. And they just say, God, just so you don't have to know who that God is that they worship. But sometimes we ought to ask them, what's the name of that God you worship? Yeah, we got to ask them sometimes. What's the name of the God you worship? Uh-huh. And even people that are, quote, unquote, living for God and saved, they probably can't answer that question. What's the name of the God? Well, you know God. You know God. He doesn't have a name. Mm-hmm. And that's what we have to really realize, that the God that we worship and praise that we sing about, he is not just God. He is the only true and living God. And his name is Jesus. That's what we ought to project every time. And that's why we ought to be grateful and thankful and praise him. Because we have that revelation that we know the almighty God by name. Everybody don't know him by name. But we know him by his name. And his name is Jesus. Welcome to Thursday, Wednesday night Bible study. It's pro we're probably going to do that for eight years, huh? Are we going to make that mistake for eight years before we finally can say Wednesday just free and clear? My Lord, Wednesday night Bible study, good to have you, good to be in the house of the Lord. We're moving quickly and rapidly toward fall. It's getting darker earlier. Don't get sleepy on me. Don't hide from me. Come on and join me on Wednesdays at 7.30. Amen. Don't let the devil tell you you got to work tomorrow. You had to work in the summertime too. Don't let the devil tell you the kids got to go to school. Guess what? They won't miss a beat 
if they go to bed just a little outside of their bedtime on Wednesday. And some of you don't let your kids go to bed early anyway. So don't try to make up a story. That's why we don't come on Wednesdays because the kids got to go to school. No, 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 don't say that. God will bless you if you, if bedtime is normally 9 o'clock and you cut it close on a Wednesday where you're probably just getting home at 9 o'clock or just a tick after 9, you know, if they go to bed one hour late a week, which is Wednesday night, trust me, they won't, their grades won't falter because of that. So trust the Lord. Come out on Wednesday. Invite people to come out on Wednesday because that's the foundational part of church. A lot of times people come to church on Sunday, they don't really realize. I'm, I'm glad that they leave encouraged. But a lot of times that's all people leave as on Sundays, encouraged. Boy, that was good. I, man, I'm glad. And man, everybody was just so happy. And I got to talk to everybody. That was great. And that's all part of it. But Wednesdays or whenever you have weeknight service, we're supposed to get deeper into the word of God. And that's what establishes our relationship with God. That's what gives us foundation. Because to be quite honest, we're in a place as Christians because a lot of the elders are older. And so the generation that's either leading or the couple of generation behind some of our leaders, they, 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 they don't really know a lot of things that we do, why we do it. And so whenever they come up against reasoning or conversations about, well, why is that important? We can't explain it. And that's how we got moved out of position, many of us, while we gave up on certain things in church. And, you know, we see that church services cut down to four nights, to two nights or, you know, one and a half day a week when it used to be a whole lot. But it's because we got talked out of it. And why do we get talked out of it? Because we got talked into it and not taught it. Because when you're taught something and you know it, nobody can talk you out of it. But people get talked out of their relationship and the word of God because they don't know it. They were just going through the, 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 the motions of saying, well, I'm a Christian. Well, I go to church. That's what I preach about. Don't be a churchgoer. Be the church. And so many people are going to church. Even the ones that are supposed to be the church, they're going to church. And so we need to really ask ourselves, am I going to church or am I the church? And when you are the church, whenever the church is gathered, you're there gathered together with the church. Because we function as one, as a body. And even though we're in many different locations, God has strategically positioned us as his church at different locations to do the different things that he has called us to do. So when the body is gathered, you know what you never stop to give thought of? Uh, <laughs> this is very interesting that we never get or give great uh, thought about. If you say God sent you to a church, don't you know everything that God know that church was about? Oh, God sent me to that church. Okay. So why are you refraining from some things that that church does? What are you saying? Well, God, you didn't understand that they were going to do that. God, you didn't know they were going to do that. And I don't like those things. So I'm just not going to do it. 
No, when God sent us to any church, he knew exactly what was going to go on, the good, the bad, the indifference, but he still sent us there anyway, which means we ought to just go and be a part and take what we would consider the good and the bad. Because if God sent me there, then I'm going with everything. And when you get that kind of mindset, God will always bless you. Unfortunately, our mindset is still we're navigating what we think we should and what we think we shouldn't do. Well, if that's the case, why did God bother to send you there? You're quiet on me now. Uh Uh-huh. When God sends us to a church, we ought to take in stride. And do everything that that church is doing. Whether you think that's of God or that's not of God, that's not your concern. Your concern is God sent me there. What are they doing? Okay, I'll be there. Why? Because God sent me there. And God knows what's going on there. God knows what they're going to do. And if the church goes sideways, God will tell me when the church goes sideways to go someplace else. You don't believe that? Okay, then there we are. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Exodus 33, verse number 7. Exodus 33, verse number 7. Amen. The Bible says, and Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. And it came to pass when Moses went out unto the tabernacle that all the people rose up And stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. Now that's important. We'll get, to, get back to that. His tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp. But his servant Joshua, somebody say his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Jesus, what a great word that you give us. We're so thankful. We appreciate all of your instructions and all of the word of God. Help us now tonight to receive your engrafted word with gladness, with meekness. And help us, Lord God, to not just receive it, but God, to take it and apply it in every aspect of our life. I pray that we will grow from tonight's teaching and that, Lord, you will meet us here tonight inside of this tabernacle. And that you will help us to understand some things about you, Lord God. 
that, Lord Jesus, we can become more mature, more knowledgeable, and draw closer to you than we've ever been. We ask you all of these things in the wonderful and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Let us all say amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to talk to you a little bit tonight on this topic. The manifested presence of God makes the difference. The manifested presence of God makes the difference. Sister Thomas, we're glad to have you back. Sister Thomas went to Jamaica for it felt like six months. Well, it felt like six. And I, I might have spoke to her. I spoke to her probably two or three times since you were gone. I, I, yes, yes. Can I just say what I'm saying, Sister Lala? I said I spoke to you about two or three times, but you would have rather me speak to you about six or seven times. That's what I was about to say. But we spoke about two or three times. Yeah, but you probably wanted us to speak about seven or eight times. It's okay. I wanted to talk to you too. But when you called me sometimes and I couldn't answer right away, I called you back and you didn't answer or your phone wasn't working right. But Sister Lolly, we're glad to have you back. <laughs> Hallelujah. The manifested presence of God makes the difference. In the minds of many, prayer seems or should I say, in the minds of many, prayer seems to differ widely from other forms of communication. So many people look at prayer different from most communication. Not perceiving any tangible object of address, many feel as if to pray were to talk with nothing. How can you pray with vigor into empty air? Ask a candid doubter. Even Christians sometimes lack the sense of communion. And then prayer is scarcely more than a soliloquy in the form of petition. And yet speaking to God is really very much like speaking to man. Since God is a person, address to him must conform to the general principles of a personal address. Some people struggle with prayer because we're feeling a little weird that we're trying to communicate to an object that we can't see. How can we speak in the air in thinking that someone that we can't see, an object we can't touch, really is hearing what we're saying and it's making a difference? How is that even possible? And so because of that, many people have done very little praying because they just can't conceptualize what prayer really is and what it means. So effective, fervent prayer require faith as to who the Lord Jesus Christ is. 
And so I will say that when we begin to struggle with prayer, we're struggling with faith. When we struggle with prayer, we're struggling with faith. Because as long as faith is strong and rooted in you, then prayer will not seem like something weird or it will not feel awkward or it will not feel like, oh, nobody's hearing me and it's not going anywhere and nothing will come from it. When we think that way, it means we are struggling with faith. The elders and and even in this church, uh, a lot of people that especially younger people, they're so, you know, energized and full of energy and vigor to say, I want to get involved with this and I want to do this and I want to do that. And that's great. And we want them to have that energy. And so when they hear a preacher like me that quite often talk about God's identity, a lot of times they want to say, yeah, we know, let's move on. But what they don't realize is God's identity is everything. If you never know another scripture, but you come to know God's identity in who he is, you are good to go. But we're so eager now because we're in a time of how knowledge is rampant. The Bible talks about and knowledge will increase. And the more we go into the future, the quicker knowledge is doubling in its increase. And so we're more so gung-ho into tell me some more. Give me some more revelation. Explain to me some more. I want, to, I want more knowledge. And while knowledge is great. Getting a whole lot of knowledge and not be anchored in foundational truth will take you off course at some point in time. God's identity and God's principles are foundational and God's identity is foundational. And so if we don't come to understand God's identity and that no one can come to God without faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is God and that he is a rewarder to them that diligently seek him. So if we don't approach God with faith, but only reason we can have faith is because we know him. And so when we know him, we approach him with a surety that I can speak in the air. I don't have to touch him. I don't have to see him. I don't have to feel him to know he hears me. He will answer me and he will instruct me. But if I don't know him, I won't know those things. And so it's easy for us to overlook yeah, pastor, you're always talking about Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. We know that. Trust me, it's so foundational. The identity of God and faith, because faith is really the identity of God. More than it's just believing. And so when you come to have faith, it's so different in your approach in everything. But if we just believe the things that feels good to us, sometimes we're going to get sidetracked. And we're wondering how we got sidetracked. And we, got, we always will get sidetracked because we don't understand foundational principle. 
the identity of the true and living God. So it's on those principles do we offer a prayer to him. We offer a prayer to him fervently and passionately because we know him. Because we are talking to him as we can imagine him talking back to us and we're face to face and we're communing. That's how we address God because he's real to us. He's a person and we know he is omnipresent. He is right where we are as we're praying and talking. So we know he's right there and when he, re- when he desired to answer us, he will answer right then and there. That's the principle of prayer. But some of us treat prayer as a genie in a bottle kind of deal. As, as like, you know, if I pray and God does it, then I know he hears me. God just don't want us to, to, to want us to pray and he does something. And then, and then guess what? We all, we're off to the races. God has blessed me. God has done something for me. And now we're off to the races because God just blessed us. And then when we feel like the blessing ran out, we go back to God to pray again. Some of us live our life quite like that, that we talk to God always about what we need. And then as soon as we feel like he has met that need, we kind of go about our business enjoying the need and don't talk to him as much anymore. And then we come back to him when there's another need. Do we believe that's the way God intended? Don't you understand that you are God's prized possession? That aside from God, you are the greatest thing that exists. Aside from God, you and I are the greatest things that exist. Us humans are this. We are made in his image. We are made in his likeness. And so we are the greatest thing that exists outside of God. You think all God wants to do is get us chasing things of this world? No. God wants to have communion with people that's like him. Because he can't have communion with nobody else. Can you imagine that you, ooh, that you existed by yourself and you just was roaming in the earth like Adam was? And God didn't say it is not good for you to be alone and he let you stay alone and he didn't commune with you. Can you imagine that? Now God is self-sustaining and he exists and always existed without us. But boy, it's a welcoming sight when he created us in his image that we now are kind of like him and we can have communion with him and he can commune back with us and we won't give that to him. We won't give God that to realize He gets joy out of communion with us. We have to re-examine this thing and say, man, God get joy out of communing with us. Because maybe we misunderstood, and that's why we're here tonight to understand this. Maybe we misunderstood and just think that it's us that get joy out of communion with God, and that's all. No, it works both ways. We have to, I have to continue to reiterate that in relationship, relationship, it's reciprocal. 
And unfortunately, there's a lot of relationship, marriages included, where it's not reciprocal. We just think that and just want the other person to just, hey, you do your thing, I do mine. That's not relationship. Relationship is not, you know, you know, I do my thing. I want you to enjoy my thing with me, and I will enjoy your thing with you. That's what God wants from us. He gave us this whole world and says, be fruitful, be multiply, subdue it, and have dominion over it. But nothing is better than when you and I commune together. So there's other things going on in all of our lives, including God, but there is nothing better than us being together and getting what I want from God and God getting what he wants from me. Same thing with your relationship with any relationship you have. We all need to re-examine our relationship to see if it's one-sided. Because many of us are are living our relationship one-sided. We're stuck in our ways and we do what we want and expect for the other person to just catch on. If not, too bad. That's not God's intent. But, listen to the pastor. You're doing that with other people. Because you're doing that with God. That's why. So it's, 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 it's difficult for you to see it. Because sometimes we just think because we're still talking to one another that we have good relationships. No. No. A lot of times we're polite. A lot of times we're just trying to do the right thing. It don't mean we're happy with the relationship. Mm-hmm. Same thing with God. God isn't always happy with how our relationship with him is. But guess what? His desire is that it will change. He never changes. We might change, but he doesn't change. And so the ball is in our court. If we will ever change and make the relationship reciprocal. As he does for us. We do for him. Prayer is a result of sin. Prayer is a result of sin. Before Adam and Eve sinned, there were no need for prayer. They communed with God. They were in God's presence. They met up all the time. What the Bible says in the cool of the day, daily, they met up, they communed, they fellowship. Who knows if it's one time a day or three times a day or four times a day or all throughout the day. But what we do know is they fellowship with God regularly. What no need to be far away from him in praying. But. They sinned, and because they sinned, they could not be as intimate, as close up to God as they should. Before Adam and Eve sinned, they communed with the Lord up close and in personal, face to face. However, when they sinned, they broke that kind of up close and personal communion with God. Look at what Romans 5 and 12 says. Wherefore, as by one man's sin entered into the world and death by sin. Somebody say death by sin. 
when Adam and Eve was in the garden and they didn't sin, they was alive and they were as human as nobody else has ever been. Adam and Eve experienced the purest form of humanity connecting with divinity, who is almighty God. They experienced the purest form of what man could be like communing with God. Yet and still, they sinned. And because they sinned, their spirit died. And so death now passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Exodus 32 and 30, watch this. It says, and it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, ye have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up unto the Lord. Peradventure, I shall make an atonement for your sin. So the text that we're reading, if, if you want to go back and look over it some more, it's when Moses went up to Mount Sinai to get the commandments and the children of Israel just went crazy and you go further into the text where we went further, you will see that they just, they, they, they build that golden calf and started doing their own thing and they sinned against God. They made an image that they worshipped when God told them not to have any graven image of him. And so Moses is showing them that you have sinned big time. You messed up big time. And now Moses was playing the role of mediator for the people. So he says, let me go and see if I can make an atonement for your sin. So we know sin separates us from the Lord. But I'll give you something even more uh, clear in that sin separates us from God. But let me give you this scripture, Genesis 4 and 26. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. So Genesis 4.26 is telling us when men first started praying. Because before that, men had this real connection and intimacy with God. Their relationship and communion with God was like face to face. And then they sinned. And now because of sin, we got to pray. <laughs> we didn't have that up close communion with God. Listen to this. God's provision and blessings does not always mean God is pleased with us. God's provision and blessings does not always mean he is pleased with us. The Lord said Israel would still receive the land that was promised. But for their father's sake, according to his promise, not because he had delighted in them. So God is a God that keeps his promise. He promised the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He promised them 
that they will go into the promised land. And because he made that promise to them, guess what? Even when Israel sinned, he says, I'm still going to keep my promise. And so he still promised to lead them into the promised land, not because he was pleased with their actions, but because he made a promise to their forefathers. Mm -hmm. God's goodness is not always proof of him being pleased with us any more than his chastisements prove his anger. So when God has to chastise us or discipline us, it doesn't always mean he's angry with us. Correction don't mean God is angry. Correction just means correction. I need you to go in the right way. I need you to do the right thing. It's not because I'm upset. It's not because I'm angry. It's because I want you to go in the right way. So sometimes we make these big bodacious statements, you know, well, God's blessed me and, you know, God is providing for me. And that means I'm good. Not Not necessarily. And then sometimes you will, you know, a pastor or an elder or somebody might rebuke a person and tell them to get right. And we said, oh, my goodness, they are messed up because they just got rebuked. No, no, don't mean pastor mad, don't mean God's mad. Just mean I am giving you something sharp quickly so you don't get off track. But, you know, we have our own ways of looking at things. (laughs) God will keep his promises, but we may still need to repent because he possibly could not be pleased with us. This is why it's important to go before God sincerely in repentance because you never know what's going on. You can't judge what's going on as I'm doing good with God because God keeps his promises. He's not like us. He doesn't get mad and not do what he says he's going to do. We get mad and we cut you off. God does not do that. God gets mad, but he will still do his part in what he says because God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he shall repent. If he said it, so shall it be. So he's not going to make your promises that he doesn't come up and pay upon. The question really is, what's going to happen to me even though I get the promise? So... We can't always think that because the blessings and the promises flown were good. Sin separates us from the fellowship with the Lord, but not from our position with him. Some of the old school hear me say this and they might stand up and say, hold on. Let me listen to what this guy is saying because he might be telling a lie. I'll say it again. Sin separates us from the fellowship or from fellowship with the Lord, but not from our position with God. So sometimes the way the Lord work with me when I'm going to speak to you all, he will give me a thought, and it gets my attention, just like I just gave you. I said, oh, that's interesting, Lord. And I kind of let it, you know, marinate a little bit. And then he follows up with this. Here's where he follow up. The prodigal son. <laughs> I can't mess with the God. So listen to the statement. Sin separates us from fellowship with God, but not from our position with him. Watch the prodigal. The prodigal son's status 
as son will, would have never changed. It was never going to change. But the fellowship and communion that the prodigal shared with his father was interrupted by no choice of his father, but by the choices he made. Now, when he left his father's house, was he still not the father's son? This is why he was able to come back. Because the father never disowned him. The father didn't say, because you did wrong, you're no longer my son. He was no longer communing and fellowshipping with his father. He was no longer sitting down at the table and eating. He was no longer having conversation with the dad. He was no longer communing with his dad because he walked out. He separated himself and went his way and started living in sin. So he was no longer together with his father, but his status of or position of son never changed. When we sin, our status as to who we are as children of God don't change. But our fellowship, our communion with him will change. So when we're not living right, our fellowship and communion with him is not the same. There's no, commun- no communion and fellowship there. We're always his children. But being his children does not mean we're always in good standings or in fellowship and communion with him. This is why sometimes we allow sin to linger long because we, 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 we lean on our position or our status with him. I'm a child of God. That's true. But if I'm not in good fellowship, good standings, good communion with him, then that's not a good place to be, even though I still have the title child of God. And so sometimes we just keep living for God, keep going through the motions of being in the house of God and not realize the status is there. But the relationship has been broken. We withdraw ourselves from the manifestation or the manifested presence of the Lord when we sin. However, the Lord doesn't allow us back until we make it right by repentance. Now, some of you may have heard this before, but I'll say it again. I realize why God has given us uh, this principle of forgiveness. With us and our fellow man, we forgive. With us and God, we have to repent. But the two is one and the same because the two does the same thing. It fixed what was broken. In the human term, when we forgive one another, we fix what was broken, and we get back in right relationship. In God's term, when we sin against God and we repent, we fix what was wrong. So forgiveness and repentance, they work hand in hand. Forgiveness is with us and each other, and repentance is with us and God. But God established those two principles for right relationship. So you don't go to God and says, you know, I forgive you. 
Ain't nothing to forgive God about. If something is wrong in the relationship, it's you, me, not God. So no need to talk about no forgiveness. You can ask him to forgive you. But I'd rather, <laughs> I'd rather just confess my sin. He says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So let me just go ahead and tell him what I've done wrong. I was teaching a Bible study earlier this evening, and I was going through the chart that talks about God is. And it talks about God is eternal. You know, it talks about God is, 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 is living. It talks about God is a spirit. It talks about God is omnipresent, which I said, you know, that's awesome. God is omnipresent. He's present everywhere. We all can pray at the same time. Whether we be in Russia, China, America, it doesn't matter. We pray God hear us all at the same time. He's omnipresent. Then we say he's omnipotent. He's all powerful. You know, God can do anything because he's all powerful. But I was telling the person, I said, but you know which one make me nervous? Because I love him being all powerful. I love him present everywhere. I can go on a vacation and he's still there. I said, but the one that scares me is he's omniscient. And omniscient means he knows your thoughts. I said, man, that makes me so uncomfortable. I don't know if you can be comfortable when you know God knows every thought that you got. Whoop, whoop. Sorry, Lord. Just every time I think about it, I'm just, I'm repenting. Forgive me, Lord. I sinned again. Because, because especially in these days with all the stuff that's going on, these ungodly thoughts, these worldly thoughts are bombarding your mind. And sometimes you, you, you just off in space finding yourself putting more effort into thinking about that thought than you should and you got to get back on course. Lord, forgive me. Why am I thinking about that? And because I know him, I know I didn't get that past him. He knew that. And that made me just, ooh, I feel dirty. I'm serious. I feel dirty. <laughs> you know, that, that, that thought that was not good. You know, if you had a bad thought about somebody in your mind, he knew it. This is why it's so important to pray and make it right with God. Because he knows your thoughts. You can't hide from God. This is why, again, we need to live our life, stop worrying about impressing people and to make people have this kind of thought about us. I cannot say this. I'm not lying to you, and you should know this by now. I, I believe in carrying yourself in an upstanding right way where you're respected, where you have a right reputation. I believe in that. But that comes second after I came to know who God is that I don't care what you think of me while I'm being honest with God, while I'm being real with God, while I'm being transparent with God. If that makes me look bad in the process, then later for everybody, I'm not trying to impress nobody. And unfortunately, we don't have enough people thinking like that, that once you're talking about being right with God, it doesn't matter how you look to anybody else. Because the Bible says to fear him, that can destroy both the body and soul, not him that only can destroy the body. And so when I am not right with God, I don't care what it takes for me to look right, to get right with God. I don't care what anybody want to think about he act like he holding it down and look at him. I remember when he did this. Oh, you can dwell on that. That's your business. I don't care. I'm going to get it right with God. Because he knows my thoughts. He knows my thoughts. And I can't hide from him. You might can hide from him. I know I can't hide from him. So let me just be upfront with him. 
And when he chastised me, I will embrace it. When he correct me, I will embrace it because I just want to be right with God. That's all I want to be is right with God. I, I hope you will love me. I hope you will still want to, you know, you know, talk favorable, favorable toward me. But if you don't and I'm right with God, I'm cool. Because God's presence was no longer among the people. Watch this. This is good. Because God's presence was no longer among the people, the people started mourning. I don't know about you. You probably figured this out by now. If God's presence is not manifested in my life and in this church, I'm mourning. It was no satisfaction that God and them were no longer walking together. Listen, I know, this is, this is probably my deal with God. I know that God is present everywhere. There is no place where God is not present. But I want his manifested presence wherever I am. And if I go any amount of time where I did not experience his manifested presence, I am mourning. I am complaining sometimes, which is not good. But I gotta, I, I go to God and say, God, I'm not happy that your manifested presence is not flowing and manifested among me. What do I have to do? What am I not doing, Lord? Because I need your manifested presence in my life. And then every once in a while I get stupid and say, I can't see where I've done anything wrong recently, Lord. Recently. So why wouldn't I experience your manifested presence, Lord? I'm not doing anything wrong. I'll say that every once in a while. And most of the times I don't hear back from him when I say that. But, 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 But it's because I'm examining everything. Because if I'm not experiencing his manifested presence, I gotta examine everything. Because God's presence was no longer among them, watch this. This is good, y'all. They also lost their attractiveness. Dig in that word and you'll begin to get hurt a little bit, but you'll learn something. When God's presence is in you and upon you, you are attractive to those who are not of God. Or those who don't have God. (laughs) You're quiet. You better help me today. When God's presence is in you or God's presence is upon you, people that don't have God's presence in their life look at you and they see something that they can't explain. You become attractive to the world. And our children need to know this. Some of us adults need to understand that when you are godly, when God is in your life, you are attractive. I don't care what they think about how long your hair is or how short it is. I don't care what your facial features are. You become attractive. Attractive. The Bible talks about Jesus. He wasn't like he was real handsome or anything like that, but he was attractive because whomever the Spirit of God is in or upon, you are attractive to those who don't have it. And they're trying to figure out what's different about you. They're trying to figure out what's going on with you, and you don't have to open your mouth. They just know you stand out. They just know it's something about you, and they're trying to figure it out, and they don't want to give God no credit for it. All they know is there's something different about you. 
They don't want to give God no credit because you know the story. If they give God credit, they got to follow God to experience that. And they want to do whatever they want. So they see you and they know that, man, every time I see you, you just look good looking. Some of the people say, you look like you're getting younger and younger. I don't care what they want to say. It's an attraction when you are living for God and his presence is in your life. You are attractive to everybody and they want to know, what is it? Yep, they want to know, what is it? Well, I'm going to help you out a little bit. I'll help you, help you out a little bit. This is why the scripture says, Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. This is why God is telling us, come out of the world, come into the church, be holy, because when you are, you become attractive. Come out from among them. Be separate. Touch not the unclean thing, saith the Lord. Because sin take away your attraction. Sin smears your attraction. And so you don't even realize it, that when you're living in sin, you lose your attraction. When sin is whipping you, instead of you whipping sin, you lose your attraction. And nobody ain't trying to be like you. Nobody not wondering what's going on with you. All they know is something seems off with so-and-so. You can backslide out of God and nobody don't know. And you go out of town and still dress like you're saved. And they will know. They don't seem like they used to be. Because when you stay separate from sin, you have an attraction. You're attractive. You don't believe me? Watch it. Watch it. If we are not separated from sin, and the world, God's manifested presence will not manifest in our life. It's God's spirit that makes us attractive. It's nothing we do. It's nothing that we have special. It's his manifested presence in our life that makes the difference. And so when God's spirit is eminent and present in our life because we stayed away from sin, we become attractive. We will not be attractive to the unsaved if God's presence is, doesn't supersede everything else in our life. And so, this is the power of holiness that we neglect to understand and we think holiness is not that important. Holiness it's not just about the clothes that we wear. I know everybody's going to say amen to that, so you ain't got to say amen to that, because everybody wants to say amen. But how many times I got to tell you, if you're holy, you're going to wear certain kind of clothes. Because we all know there are people that are not holy 
that are wearing certain kind of clothes. They're trying to pass something off. So let's, let's stop playing that game. You ain't got to dress a certain way to be holy. No. When you are holy, automatically you dress a certain way. I said this before. Now, I'm not supposed to be on this, but it's not part of the lesson. Brother Hasker, I'm going to mess with you. I can't say it enough. What sports you play, Brother Hasker? What's your number one sport? Okay. My number one sport is soccer. See these things? They're like trunks, man. If I start wearing the short shorts that everybody wear, I'm going to be turning to the left and to the right everywhere I go. It used to happen. Bow-leg trunks. So, if I'm trying to be holy, why would I put on some short shorts and walk around? That's distracting. That's making some people holler at me that I don't want to be hollered at. I know it sounds funny, but I'm giving you the gospel because y'all be thinking that all that ain't necessary. If I'm trying to stay holy, why would I put myself in two arms way to be distracted by a whole lot of people hollering? I don't want nobody hollering at me no more because I ain't that strong. Some people got it. Because I'm a man, I'm human just like everybody else. I'm not Jesus. So if you are making yourself attractive to the world, sooner or later, somebody's going to get a foothold on you. Sooner or later, your type going to come and get you. So just to make sure my type never come, let me always wear some long pants. Let me always wear some long pants so they ain't get to see the bow-legged trunks. Just trying to give you all what God is trying to say when he says, be ye separate. Y'all caught up in the dress. But no, he's trying to keep you attractive. Makeup don't make you attractive. It's the spirit of God that make you attractive. Stop thinking all these additional things that you got to jazz up. You're not attractive. You cannot out attractive. I told you all this before. My kids just learned the other day, the oldest one, because they ain't never been to California. Two oldest ones never been to California. They finally came, and they got to see what I'm telling them. Y'all think y'all in Jersey can look better than these people in California? You can't scratch the surface that these people, right, Kiki? It was different, it was different right? The Californians? Nah. So don't think you can go dress yourself up or smell good enough or get your hair done enough to outdo them. You can't. They are the ones that lead this industry when it comes to attraction. You can't beat them. So to think that you can go put some stuff on, stuff on, all of this stuff to get your stuff right to say, look at me, I'm attractive. That don't do nothing. It's the spirit of God that makes you attractive. So when we go to California among the rich and famous and all of them that got it all going on, when I walk by, they say, who was that? And I ain't got their money and I ain't got their smell and I ain't got what they got to jazz themselves up because it's God's spirit that make me attractive. Not the stuff that I wear, not the stuff I put on. It's the same for you. But we fight in God. I don't see why that's necessary. <sighs> I say this all the time. Poor God. Because he is all-knowing, 
but yet and still, we don't follow what he says. How, I don't understand that. God is all-knowing, but we are struggling with obeying the all-knowing God. The church is the called-out ones who separate themselves from sin and the world and the presence of God will be upon us and that will make the world says, who are you? That's the draw to get people in the church. That's the draw. It's God's attraction. That's the draw. Read your Bible. When Jesus moved all over in the Gospels, what did they say? People was trying to find out where he was so they can go there. It's his presence that attracts. But if we're going to smear his presence with worldliness and we're going to add on our own stuff, we become or we take away the attraction. All right. We're talking about the, manifest, the manifested presence of God. That's what makes the difference. Isn't that what we're talking about? In Exodus chapter 33, verse number 7, Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp or far off from the camp and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. Moses took his tent. That was no big tabernacle. That was, that was just a little old tent that you can put up real quick. Moses took his tent and pitched it where? Outside the camp at some distance off and called it the tent of meetings. The tent is neither the sanctuary nor the tabernacle. It was a tent belonging to Moses which was made into a temporary sanctuary by the fact that the pillar of the cloud that came down upon it and Jehovah talked with Moses there. So let's learn something here tonight. God will always look for us to have a place that's specific where we meet with him. And it's personal and it's also congregational. Study your Bible. God always wants us to designate a place where he meets with us privately and together. This, where we are tonight, is the place where he will meet with us as a congregation. But you now have to ask yourself, where is that personal place for me that I will meet him consistently? Because that's one of God's ways of how he deals with us. We need to meet. We need to meet. Now, I know some of you smart saying, well, I got the Holy Ghost. Uh, be careful. I know you got the Holy Ghost. I know you got the Holy Ghost. But watch this. Jehovah revealed himself there. Some of us have been praying and God ain't revealed himself to us yet. I wonder why. And everyone who sought Jehovah had to go to this tent outside the camp. <laughs> there were two reasons for this. But let me say this. 
They sought the Jehovah, so they went outside the tent. Why? Because there was sin in the camp. So with the sin in the camp, God is not going to dwell in that. So smart Moses that knew God says, let me pitch the tent outside of the camp to separate the meeting place from where the sin is. And that's why the tent was pitched outside the camp because God was never going to come down. Even though that was the meeting place, God wasn't coming down because of the sin. That principle still don't change. God's presence don't manifest in our life if sin is dominating our life. You don't lose your position as daughter and son, but you won't get to experience his manifested presence even though his presence is in you. Because God still keeps that principle. Sin separates our communion, our fellowship with God. And we have to make that right. I shouldn't have to say this, but hopefully we learn this tonight. Sunday mornings, before we get here, we should make sure our hearts get right. Repent in the car, repent at home, repent someplace, get yourself right that when you come in here, God's presence could consume you. But if we come together and we got all of this stuff going on, then God's presence can't manifest. Let's get rid of the stuff that's ungodly and worldly and unrighteous before we even get into the parking lot. And so when we come here, we can be consumed by the fire of the Holy Ghost and his presence could be manifested right here. That all the people that want to be cleansed, all the people that want to be delivered, the fire that consumes us will burn up all that is unrighteous, will burn up all that is ungodly. But we got to allow the fire to first consume us. The manifested presence of the Lord makes the difference. And that's what we need every time we come together in this tent, in this tabernacle, in this meeting place. We need that. And we got to get ourselves together so when we come here, that's what we experience. Because I don't want you to get in, I don't want you to come to the place where you get so frustrated because you're not experiencing that. And that's why it's important that we all do it because we need to support one another. Somebody say amen. We have to put forth the necessary effort if we want to experience God's manifested presence. We have to put forth the necessary effort. We can't just sit back and say, well, God, you can do whatever you want. And we need your presence in here. We've got to put some effort in. Everyone who sought Jehovah, they went outside of their tent. But the whole nation looked with deepest reverence when Moses went out to the tent and bowed in adoration before the Lord. Everyone in front of his tent, when they saw the pillar of cloud come down upon the tent 
and stand before the door. God talked with Moses face to face as a man talked to his friend. And so we, as the people of God, don't need to be afar off because we're afraid that we're unclean and God won't manifest his presence in our life. We need to be right with God so we can be in the tent and God can consume us for others to be able to have hope and be encouraged. This was the tent where God met Moses and those who wanted to be close to God. Joshua was one who stayed with Moses and kept visual at the tent of meetings. You know, I'm finished. Back in the day, Brother Kelly, man, we heard this a lot. Armor bearer. And because some people that claimed to be an armor bearer didn't understand what that meant, and some of the people who had armor bearers didn't know what that meant, and some of the ways of armor bearing went off the rails, we don't see that as much. But if you go back in the Bible, whether you want to call it armor bearer or you want to call it somebody that's committed to the cause of Jesus Christ and say, I'm following God's man. I'm standing behind God's man. We don't see that anymore. We don't see that anymore. I'm wondering how do we raise up strong men and women in the kingdom if nobody follows the leader. You think it's a coincidence that Joshua was chosen to lead the people after Moses? Not a coincidence. Joshua had the conviction, had the, 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 the desire to say, wherever Moses go, I'm going. That's the man of God. Elisha had the wherewithal to say, wherever Elijah go, I'm going. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be so close to him that when God take him, I'm going to be there to catch the mantle. What happened to that? What happened to us believing God so strongly that we are always not too far away from God's man? What happened to that? My poor mother. When she used to live in Florida, she complained for years that I never spent the Sunday there. She was right. But everything that I was doing, I didn't know no other better. I didn't know any other way. And I wasn't going to let the man of God ever be without me. I would have rather stand on guard at that door in front of that small church and make sure he was preaching good and helping him preach. Then stay a day, a Sunday in Florida with my mother. That's just who I am. Because I felt that strongly about being there for the man of God. Because it never really was about the man. I don't know if people are getting this. I felt so strongly about what God, man represented. That God's man was about God more than it was about the man. And so I follow the order of what God is saying, that if God, that's God's man and God's chosen leader, then i got to be there. And what that means is I'm backing up God's plan. Forget about the man. I was backing up God's plan. But today, nobody sees that. Everybody equate everything to a person. And nobody's equating it to, that's God's plan. 
That's God's church. That's God's leader. I ain't going to be too far from that man. Now that feels crazy me saying that because I'm the man that God chose to lead his church. But I feel so convicted and strongly about what I need to say to you to help you. Everything that you hear me talk about is to help you. Our newly appointed youth president probably talked to me three times a day. Sometimes I said, man, that's too much in my mind. But man, the man just want to do right. How do I do this, pastor? I don't know. How should I go about this? I don't know. And so I'm on the phone constantly talking to him every day. But I'm just like, oh, this is so great. Somebody that's hungry to serve the Lord and do it right. And so no matter what, he just speed dialed me every second. Hey, superintendent, I, what, I was thinking about this. Oh, I can't do that. Okay. So how? All day, every day. I probably get three calls a day. And every once in a while he calls and says, did I miss your call? <laughs> no, you didn't miss my call, brother. My my job is not only to guide the youth president in the district. I got a whole lot of stuff I got to do, bro. But it's okay. I got to get him on the right track because I know once he got it, he got it. And I appreciate that. He reminds me, I guess why I'm saying this, he reminds me of the old school way that we followed the man of God, that God put in charge of something. We believe God's principles so strongly that we said, if that's God's man, it means he's leading God's plan, which means if I get involved, I'm part of what God is doing. But we equate it to the man. Okay. And so... I finish up here. Moses asked for God's grace. Moses understood how important it is for God's manifested presence to be with him. Check it out in Exodus 33, 12 through 14. And Moses said unto the Lord, See thou, sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me Know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace, this is Moses talking to the Lord, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy ways, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he says, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. Stand. Moses asked God for grace to bless the people and God's presence to go with the people, and the Lord granted his request. Can we take a page out of Moses' book that the most important thing for us, I believe it's a separator, especially with the apostolic church. Initially, the separation between us and everybody else is God's presence in our life. And when God's presence is manifested in our life, things are not the same like when it's not. And so after all, it was the glorious presence of God that distinguished Israel from all the other nations 
Other nations had laws. Other nations had priests. Other nations gave sacrifices. But only Israel had the presence of God among them. And that's what we, his people, his church, needs to be seeking after. God's manifested presence in our life. And when we meet in this tabernacle, his manifested presence. And sin causes that to not happen. So let's get together and make up in our mind, in our prayer life, before we even come here Sunday, that I'm going to go into that place with my heart pure, with my mind clear, with righteousness flowing in my life, and not have sin to have any rain, any work. Get everything right with your spouse. Get everything right with your children. Get everything right with everybody you got to get everything right with. And come into this house Sunday with a clean heart, with a pure heart, with clean hands, with a right spirit, knowing that there is no sin that's reigning in your life. And we will begin to see God's manifested presence. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for the gathering of the church, the body of Christ, right here in this tabernacle. Father, you have spoken to each and every one of us. There is not one that is present that did not receive the word of God with clarity, with understanding. Now, Father, help us not to dismiss the word, not to neglect the word, not to overlook the word. But let the word of God be in our heart. Let it be at the forefront of our mind. Let it consume our thoughts. Let it overshadow us in every way that, God, we can live by this word. Because it is nothing, Lord, like your manifested presence in our life, Lord. We have to tell you and be honest with you, Lord. We are mourning and we are crying out to you because we desire your manifested presence in our life individually, in our church collectively. It is your manifested presence that we desire communion and fellowship with you, that we desire having conversation with you as a man speak with another man. That's what we desire, Lord. And so we pray tonight in the name of Jesus that, Lord, if you would just show us, if you would just help us to get rid of the sin and to get rid of all unrighteousness and to dismiss all worldliness and to, Lord, seek your face and to seek your manifested presence, then, God, you will do what you want to do. You said if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then you shall hear from heaven and you shall heal their land. Lord, we want you to hear from heaven. Lord, we want you to heal our land. Lord, we want your manifested presence to flow in our lives like never before. It is your presence that makes us attractive. It is your presence, Lord God, that will cause others to say I want what you have and Lord freely we have received, freely we will give, just let your manifested presence move upon us Lord, that we oh God can be the people that you can use mightily and miraculously by faith, by the power of God, have your way in us Lord God, have your way in us almighty God 
we give ourselves to you, Lord. Our life is not our own, Lord God, but our life belongs to you. It was your blood that was shed. You purchased us with your blood, your incorruptible blood. Purchased us, Lord God, because you laid down your life. Have your way tonight, Lord. Inhabit us, Lord God, in the name of Jesus Christ. Purge us from iniquities. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Create in us a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within us, Lord, that we may desire righteousness, that we may desire to be separate, that we will be holy and separate, Lord, consecrated unto you, O great God. Have your way, sweet Jesus, as we cry out to you tonight. We ask, O God, that you will hear us from heaven. Hear our cry, Lord God, and let your will be done. We pray this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Ah, my God, my God. Oh, God. Jesus, you are God Almighty. Jesus, you are God Almighty. Jesus, you are God Almighty. We bless your name, Lord. We bless your name, Lord. As we go from this place, let your presence, Lord God, be upon us. Oh God, let your presence, Lord God, overwhelm us, Lord God. That, Lord, we can attract the lost. And, Lord God, that we can fellowship and commune with you. Keep us from worldliness and all ungodliness. In Jesus' name. Give to the building fund as you go, whenever you're ready. God bless you. God bless you. Have a great rest of your night. Prayer breakfast this Saturday. This Saturday is our first Saturday, 8 a.m. We'll see you here.